crowd, when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Well, if you would, let's turn one more time to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1. And we will read verses 27 through 30. Philippians 1, 27 through 30. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. This is the word of the Lord. Now, last week, um, we did the Lord's Supper, and I preached a sermon that was related to the Lord's Supper, so it's been a week since we were here. But two weeks ago, we looked at verse 27, and basically the sermon is this, what does the church look like whose citizenship is in heaven? Let me say it again, what does the church look like whose citizenship is in heaven? And we get this from this verse. Verse 27 says, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And we said that's a comprehensive command. It's universal. It covers everything. We talked about this on a week ago in our book we were going through. Be holy. Well, that pretty much covers it all, doesn't it? Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's a comprehensive command, and it's also a constant command. You're to conduct yourselves... And you're always to conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We also talked about the fact that Paul uses a different Greek word here to speak of our walk or how we are to live or behave. We're to behave as worthy citizens of the gospel. There's this word connected to the the Greek word is city or state or citizenship is connected to this Greek word. And so there's this little play on words here. There's a dual uh, thing that's being done here. There's dual citizenship, if you will. He's saying, you Philippians, you guys are proud to be citizens of Rome. And that was a good thing to be a citizen of Rome. Paul even enjoyed being a citizen of Rome. They had wonderful, wonderful privileges. They also had obligations as well. 
And they were also to understand that they had a higher obligation as citizens of heaven to King Jesus. And the same thing's true about you and same thing's true about me. We are proud, I hope. What's that song? Proud to be an American, where at least I know I'm free. And we hear that July 4th, right? And Lee, is it Lee Greenwood? Okay. So I'm proud to be an American where at least I know I'm free. I mean, we're, we're, we're hoping we stay free. So anyway, we're, we're Americans and we're proud of that. We have an allegiance. I pledge allegiance. But we have a higher allegiance to Jesus Christ who sits at the right hand of God. And so today what we want to do is answer this question. Uh, what does the church look like whose citizenship is in heaven? And Paul gives us three uh, statements, three answers to that question he says the church whose citizenship is in heaven stands united second the church whose citizenship is in heaven strives side by side and third the church whose citizenship is in heaven exercises undaunted courage i'm sorry i couldn't come up with another s the church whose citizenship is in heaven stands united Look at verse 27. So that whether I come and see you and or remain absent, I will hear. What will I hear? I will hear that you are standing firm in one spirit. So being a citizenship in heaven, with my citizenship in heaven, and my feet on the ground, you and I, we are to live out this Christian life, not in a vacuum. We're not going to live out this Christian life in a convent. We're not going to live out this Christian life in a monastery. We're going to live out this Christian life in the open. I was talking to Brian the other day. He's living in a bigger city. (laughs) Whoa, there's so many more people. We're living in front of a bunch of people. We're to live it out, not in a closet. We're to live it out in the city among people. And people are going to see our conduct. They're going to hear how we talk. And then we're going to face what? opposition and that's in verse 28 the apostle talks about opponents what are opponents opponents are those who are against us verse 29 he speaks of oh that's that part nobody likes to read let me just read it for you make sure i can see it Uh, for to you it has been granted for christ's sake not only to believe but it's also been granted that you suffer for his sake so we have opponents we're going to suffer for jesus sake Paul has been suffering, verse 30, he says, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me. Ten years earlier, they saw the conflict in him. He had been beaten with rods. He and Silas had been put into a prison. You remember all of that, and then the earthquake, and they got set free, and all of those things. But they were beaten. There was suffering that was taking place. There were enemies. There were opponents. And then the suffering continues and now here to be in me. Not right now. Where is he? He's in a Roman prison. He's there for Christ. And so the church of Jesus Christ, behaving as citizens on, of heaven on this earth, will be under attack. And you can look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, where the apostle writes, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And what are we to do when we face this persecution? Well, you and I, we are told here to stand firm. Do you know what stand firm means? Let me see if I can give you a picture. When we used to train football boys all summer long, I used to always say, don't be a bowling pin, be a triangle. Don't be a bowling pin, both feet close together. What happens when both feet are close together? Easy to knock down. But if you're on the football field, harder to knock down a triangle. 
harder to knock down a broader base. You and I were to stand firm. We're to be like triangles at the base. In 1 Corinthians 16, 13, we read, Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. In 1 Kings chapter 2, King David comes to his son. He's old. He's ready to hand the baton off to Solomon. And he says, you need to be a man. What does that mean? Be strong. Be a man. Be strong. Be resolved. Strong men. Strong women. Under the word of God. Now, in my other life as a clinical exercise physiologist, I always was exposed to bigger, faster, stronger concepts. Bigger, faster, stronger. Yeah, I've heard that program. <laughs> we used to do speed, agility, and quickness. The strongest men in the world right now, you know how much they weigh? They weigh 400 pounds. The strongest men in the world right now weigh 400 pounds. How do they maintain that weight? Two things. Force feed. They force feed protein, carbs, starchy carbs, fats. They force feed. They eat all day long. They eat tons of calories. The second thing they have to do is they have to work those muscles. You're going to have those kind of muscles. You have to work those kind of muscles. So they have to go lift very heavy weights. Now, I want you to think about that. Martin Luther, he was a mighty man. Well, let me tell you what happened to him. He didn't even know what's happening to him. He's so unhappy with sin, and the men, in order to deal with him, they gave him something else to do. So they told him to go read the Bible, Kyle. Read the Bible. Study the Bible. So this guy goes and he studies the Psalms. And he preaches and teaches through the Psalms. And he teaches and preaches through Romans. And he teaches and talks through Galatians. And he reads the Bible. And he reads the Bible. And as he reads the Bible, he's becoming a, a man. He's being force-fed the Bible. He's growing and he's becoming a real man. Now, he's not going to go up and fight against 400-pound Goliaths today with picking up big stones and throwing them around like they're you know, pebbles. But he's going to go against the Roman Catholic Church. And he's there. And the Roman Catholic Church, as he begins to share the Scriptures with them, listen, the Scriptures with them, as he shares the Scriptures, the church is so corrupted, this is what they said to him. Who do you think you are? Why are you doing this? Have there not been a whole host of theologians before you who disagree with you and agree with us? What new thing do you have to say? Mr. Luther, you're all alone. But Martin didn't have anything new to say. You with me? He only had the Bible. And he kept saying, here's what the Bible says. Here's what the Bible says. And he stood on the authority of the Bible and he was resolved to do so to the, to the death. And he could do it because he had been force-fed and because he had become a strong, resolved man. Now, here's the point. Here he says, I stand, I can do no other. God, help me. I don't think he could have done it if he hadn't been force-fed. I don't think he could have done it if he hadn't grown to be a strong man. But our point today, the apostle is telling us, is that we don't need to say, here I stand, I can do no other, God help me. There's going to be plenty of times we could have sermons on standing alone. But this passage is about, here we stand, I as a church can do no other, God help us. We are to stand firm in one spirit, that means together, it's plural, plural, you, me, all of us together. In one spirit. Now this statement, in one spirit, uh, 
It was just too easy to think about what we've said in the past sermons on Sunday afternoon sermons. (laughs) In one spirit, folks, prior to the fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they had received God's commandments. They were fully equipped with God's spirit to do what God had commanded them. But when Adam and Eve fell, there was this unbelievable disunity that happened. There was not oneness, but, but dis, disunity and all this lack of harmony. And so Adam and Eve are at odds with God, and Adam and Eve are at odds with each other. And if you ask them if they were at odds with inside their hearts, they would say the same thing, yes. So we see in Genesis chapter 11, this is where we were on our weeks, on our, our second sermons on the afternoon. We see that just as God drove Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden, there's something else happening in Genesis 11. In Genesis 11, we see that men began to not agree with God's commands to be fruitful and multiply on the face of the earth and exercise dominion. And so God sees them down in the plain of Shinar. We said last week, what do they do? They drop their anchor. They're going to stay there. They're not going to obey God. God sees all of this. This is their motto. Man is the measure of all things. This is their motto. I wrote this down. Uh, Oprah Winfrey's motto. Here it is. You are great, and so am I. You are great. So am I. And the Scripture tells us that just as God judged Adam and Eve and drove them out of the Garden of Eden, God came down, He confused their languages, and what happens? All kinds of confusion. People are going to all parts of the earth In obedience, God's going to make them go out and populate all the earth. All these different people groups all over the face of the earth. That's Genesis 11. At the very tail end of Genesis 11, in the very beginning of Genesis 12, something unbelievable begins to take place. All this disunity. God says this, I so love the world that I called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees. So what in the world are you talking about? Well, he gave Abraham all kinds of promises, and the final promise is that he would have a seed, and through that seed, there would be a Savior who comes to the whole world, and that would fulfill Genesis 3.15. Let's work it out a little bit. So Abraham's been told he's going to have a seed who will benefit the whole world, and he waits 25 years to get him. His name is Isaac. So Isaac is born, and guess who loves Isaac so much? Well, Abraham does. 25 years of waiting. The Bible calls Abraham's son, your son, your only son, whom you love. And then he says, guess what? I want you to take your son, whom you love so much, and I want you to sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. And he did it. He went up there, he raised the knife, and God stayed his hand, and then God gave him a ram in the place of his son. What is all of that about? Is it not about a father, God the Father, who's going to give Jesus the final seed of Abraham to die on the cross? He does not spare him. He doesn't give a ram in his place, but Jesus dies. So that what? So that all this disharmony is being brought back together in one spirit. It's all about this being one spirit. We're going to stand firm in one spirit. And so Jesus is being preached on the day of Pentecost and all this stuff that was happening in Genesis 11, all this disruption, all this disunity, all this being driven out of the garden, God is bringing people back together through the gospel of Jesus Christ. 3,000 people were united in one spirit on the day of Pentecost. 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now they're all standing firm. Now they're all giving themselves to the apostles' doctrine. Now they're fellowshipping with one another. They're breaking bread and they're praying. And this continues today. Our church, we are to stand firm. We're not to say, here I stand. We're to say, here we stand. Here we stand as one group of people. We are to live according to God's word. We are to be citizens standing firm in one spirit. Well, second, that's the longest point. Second, this is shorter. The next two are a little shorter. The church whose citizenship is in heaven strives side by side. Look at verse 27. With one mind or with one soul, striving together for the faith of the gospel. Striving together. Striving together. That means struggling or contending together. And so this word is used in verse 27 of chapter 1. It's used in verse 3 of chapter 4 where Euodia and Sintiki, um, that, that's how you say her, her name, by the way, Sintiki. They're striving together, working with the Apostle Paul. What is this striving together? Well, it's an athletic image. And back in those days, you know, recently I was talking to some folks right before the service. Um, the world championships in track and field happened just this past week in Eugene, Oregon. Now, Steve used to live there, so this is his favorite thing. <laughs> and, and so these guys, back in ancient days for the Olympics, they didn't have to guarantee that they trained for five years. I mean, some of these people have been training all their lives. If you go talk to, I, I tell my wife these names, <laughs> Shelly Ann Fraser-Price, she's the mommy rocket. She's the 35-year-old lady who runs the 100-meter dash, you know. These people have been running for 12, 15 years. Back in the ancient days, you had to guarantee, you had to stand in front of Zeus, and you had to say that I've trained for 10 months. And you swear out that you trained for 10 months, and you have to swear out before Zeus that you would compete according to the rules. This word's also used about gladiators. So, you know, you might go watch. There's a show about gladiators out there. But what do the gladiators say before they enter into battle with animals and all sorts of things in the arena? We who are about to die salute you. And so we're to be gladiators, not people who fight singly against something, but we fight together. Again, it's not just about being the lone ranger who rides off you know, into the sunset with Tonto, his companion. But you and I are to be on a team. We are to work together. We are to be on this team and striving together. It's like a basketball team. So um, in the 11th grade, you know, when you're in high school, wow. <laughs> when I was in high school, man, it was really rough. And I went to a basketball game in Longview, Texas. And I was going to go watch junior varsity and varsity games, and I'm watching the third quarter of the junior varsity uh, game. And a friend of mine, acquaintance, really not necessarily a great friend of mine, received the ball at half court. Now, if you're on a basketball team, 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 you're, you receive the ball at half court, you're in your friend, some, I mean your teammates, under the goal, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to pass the ball to the guy who's under the goal. And so this young man should have passed the ball to David, my friend who's standing under the goal, so he could shoot two points in. 
But this guy, everybody saw this, what I'm about to say. Everybody saw this. He takes the ball from half court. He sees the young man who's under the goal. He drives the ball all the way in, and he lays the ball in. And you know what my side of the fans did? They booed him. They booed their own guy. Why do they do it? That's not how you play. That's not what you do. You're a team. They booed him. He should have, you know, this is part of it. He didn't get, he should have gotten an assist on his card. People know what I'm talking about. Should have gotten an assist for the, for the game instead of a two points on his, his game. Didn't play as a team. What are we doing this for? Why are we to pass the ball around and work together? Well, he tells us here for the faith of the gospel. Now, sometimes when we think about faith, last week we talked about faith and we talked about our faith. Our subjective faith. And what is that? Well, we know what Jesus did. We're convinced of what Jesus did. And we put our faith in Jesus Christ, what he did for us. We could talk about that. We could preach a sermon on that. We're committed. We're convinced. We're committed. We're going to rest our soul on Jesus Christ. But here he says we are striving together for the faith of the gospel. We could say this is the content, this is the doctrine that we are to strive and hold together as believers. In Jude chapter 3, we see this. He says, contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. So this is the way of salvation. There's only one way of salvation. There's only one name through whom you can be saved, and that's the name of Jesus Christ. And you and I, we must agree on that one thing. That must be preached from the pulpit. When we have Sunday school classes in place, Lord willing, that has to be taught in every Sunday school class. That has to be spoken of in every men's, every women's Bible study. Jesus Christ is the only mediator between God and man. That's the faith of the gospel. And you and I must hold that fast. We are not to say, look what, has, what, what the world has come to, but we are to say, look what has come to the world. What's come to the world? The faith of the gospel. And we are to be aggressive in this. We are to be united in this. We can't be spectators in this. We can't sit on the sidelines. We can't say, you know, that's a good idea and I'm really for all of that, but I'm not going to help. If you do that, you know what this text says? You ready? This text says, boo. That's what it says. Oh, yeah, I agree with that, but I'm going to sit over here on the sidelines. I'm going to sit in my closet. That text says, boo on that. Because you and I were to, some of us are going to preach. Some of us are going to teach. Some of us are going to do Bible studies. Some of us are going to pray. Some of us are going to get the elements ready for the Lord's Supper. Some of us are going to serve and get the building ready. And some of us are going to take the building down. Some of us are going to do this and that and the other. But we can't go sit in a room by ourselves. We have to get together. Striving together for the gospel, for the faith of the gospel. And as you and I, as we contend, not as not as uh, not just one man over in a closet, but as one man together, all joined together like a basketball team. As people see us working, as people see us loving each other, they know that we're citizens of heaven by our love. Well, finally, the church whose citizenship is in heaven exercises undaunted courage. Now, I got that from William Hendrickson. And that's in verse 28. He says this, 
Paul says this, in no way alarmed by your opponents. No way alarmed by your opponents. No way being intimidated. Now here's why you might be intimidated. The word there speaks of a stampede. Now how many of you watched The Lion King? Now wasn't the lion, the king of the jungle, wasn't he sort of like pushed out into a stampede and run over? This word speaks of a stampede. This word speaks of horses being running people down so it would strike terror in us. We are in no way to be alarmed by, the, by all the folks who are opponents to Jesus Christ and His church. So the apostle is focusing on both Gentile and Jewish opponents who are rising up against the Philippian church. And he's also thinking about those who are opposing him. And you and I, we are to stand firm in one spirit. We are to strive side by side for the faith of the gospel in the midst of the stampede. In the midst of the stampede. It's coming. It's coming. Man, don't you see it every day? I'll just turn the TV on. James Montgomery Boyce um, relates a story about Donald Gray Barnhouse, who was the minister of 10th Presbyterian Church. (laughs) And Donald Gray Barnhouse left Philadelphia, went to the West Coast, and he was on a busy street. He was parked. And he witnessed an accident. And he watched a man driving down the road, winding through the traffic. And finally he hit, ran in head on to somebody else. Then he watched the man who was behind the steering wheel. He was drunk. The man in the passenger seat moves him into the passenger seat and gets behind the steering wheel. So the the man who was not drunk switches places. The police come and interview the man who's behind the steering wheel at the time. And he says, the man over there, he ran into me. So now they go over to Dr. Barnhouse few yards away, seated in his car, and they asked for his eyewitness testimony, and he said, I saw what happened. This drunk man was the man who was driving. The accident was his fault, and after the crash, this man exchanged places with him, and then after that, you know what was going on with the crowd? They were growling, and this is what the crowd said. I'm just going to quote it. What business do you have of interfering, sir? Let them argue it out. Leave it to the police. And you know what Barnhouse said? He said, if this man goes in front of a court and perjures himself and says it was the other man's fault, I will be willing to fly from the East Coast to the West Coast to testify that the man behind the driver's seat was in the passenger seat. I will testify to what is true. And while he was saying that, the crowd began to snarl and curse him and scream as loud as they could. What's the point? Tell the truth. What's the point? Tell the truth. Stand for the truth. Stand firm in one spirit for the truth. Striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. This means we have to proclaim that intimacy before marriage is a sin. This means we have to proclaim that homosexuality is a sin. This means we have to proclaim that you can't change your gender. God gives us a gender. This means we have to proclaim that disobedience to parents is a sin. This means we have to say that all sin 
It separates us from God. This means that we have to teach that all sin needs to be covered by the blood of Jesus or we're separated from God forever. There's only one way to God. And it's not the NFL. It's not the NBA. It's not soccer on Sunday. It's not in a football stadium on Sunday. It's not outside doing my, my yard. It's not out there doing extra work. It's only through Jesus Christ. Only. This is the truth. We have to say the truth. And guess what? If you hold fast to this truth, guess what's, gonna, what's coming? Donald Gray Barnhouse will tell you. Screaming, yelling, intimidation. But Paul tells us, be undauntedly courageous. He tells us, stand firm in one spirit. He says, strive side by side. Hold fast to the gospel. Well, finally, let me, let me give you some encouragement. Look at verse 28 which is a sign of destruction for your enemies, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. So your undaunted courage comes from God. Let, let, me, let me help you out. Why would you be full of courage? Why would you be full of that energy to be courageous for the truth? Only one reason. Somebody's per- holding you. Somebody's preserving you. Jesus says that if you're, you're uh, persevering, that you're in the Father's hand. And then Jesus says in John chapter 10, if you're in the Father's hand, you're in my hand. And if you're in my hand, the Father's hand and my hand, we're in both hands at the same time. You go figure it out. That's what the Bible says. Somebody's holding on to you. Jesus is at the right hand of God, and right now he's interceding for you that you not fail, that you persevere. Somebody's praying for you. Your fearlessness and your undaunted courage is God's faithfulness to you. Your undaunted courage is also a sign of destruction for your enemies. As you and I endure, as we're being held and as we persevere, there's going to be that screaming and that cursing, and it's a sign of their destruction. Destruction is everything that is the opposite of life. Now, destruction doesn't mean if a per- when a person dies that hell is annihilation but it's constant eternal punishment for the impenitent. It's a sign of their doom whether they know it or not. But here's something that we must always remember. We have to stand firm. We must continue to do what we're doing. Why? Because it's this thing. It's the preaching. It's the talking about God. It's the walking and living for Him that God uses to save those people who are doomed. So we have to stay with it. We have to stay with it. And if I didn't believe that, I'd walk away from the pulpit right now. If I didn't believe that, I'd never say, Mr. Harris, let's go walk around, knock on doors, and be told no most of the time. God is the one who uses us weak folks, uh, our weak words, to break into people's lives and move them towards himself. Well, finally, our undaunted courage is a sign of our own salvation. It's not just a gift from God and it's not just a sign of their destruction, but it's a sign of our salvation. Why in the world are we doing what we're doing? Why? Because somebody's at work in us. Somebody's holding us. Somebody's holding on to us. Somebody's praying for us. Somebody's Holy Spirit's working in our hearts to will and to do for His good pleasure. And the Holy Spirit is definitely able to impress on your heart that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing 
will be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, your Lord. Are you courageous? It's a sign of your salvation. Well, what does a church look like whose citizenship is in heaven? Well, it stands firm. Stands firm in one spirit. It strives side by side for the faith of the gospel. And it exercises undaunted courage. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this opportunity once again to open up your word, to read and to hear it preached. We pray that we would be those who stand firm on a broad base in one spirit as you work in us. We pray that we would strive side by side for the faith of the gospel and that we would have the courage that you give us, Lord, that it's a sign of our salvation. And we pray that as we hold fast to the truth, that many who are on their way to destruction might see that and come to know you as Savior and Lord. Lord, we praise you and thank you for teaching us now. We ask, Lord, that you would help us finish out this service with singing and with praise. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.